I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Art Saxby, the CEO of Chief Outsiders, to talk about how they're helping businesses to go through changing transformation and innovation in their industries. Art, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I, I always like to start with the journey. Your uh, career started in traditional CPG as you moved from Frito-Lay to Kellogg's to Coca-Cola. And then you tackled even the turnaround of a company in Imperial Sugar. What led you from that world of CPG into the broader world of marketing and working with companies of all sizes through Chief Outsiders? Well, as, as usually the case, it was done accidentally. <laughs> so not a tremendous amount of, of strategic planning. If we we think of back to late 1999, for those of us in that era, I was doing international marketing strategy for Coca-Cola company, but all I read about was dot-com millionaires. So I jumped ship from Coca-Cola over to Compact Computers to focus on internet marketing. But April 1 of 2000 was the peak of the tech bubble. So as that burst and the tech economies and, and profitability left the tech sector, you know, I looked to get back into CPG and and through a, a relationship was introduced to the CEO, a turnaround CEO, who had just taken over a 180-year-old billion-dollar bankrupt sugar company. So I went in as, as VP of marketing, part of the turnaround team. And that was when I first realized that I could take the, the strategic leadership side of marketing, not the cool creative side, but how do you lead a company based on the market dynamics? And if you apply it to a mid-sized company, boy, could you make big things happen. I mean, I love my time with Coca-Cola, but in seven years, I was never able to double the size of the company. When I was able to apply, apply that real strategic thinking to this mid-sized company, even though it was a billion dollars, it acted more like a mid-sized company because it was a commodity, just sugar. So what I was able to, to learn was I could take the strategic leadership side of marketing, not just the cool creative side, but how do you lead a company based on the market dynamics? and apply it to a mid-sized company, you could really make big things happen. We were able to take this 180-year-old billion-dollar bankrupt sugar company, NASDAQ traded, from $1 to $35 in, in about four years. There was a lot of other good business decisions along the way, but a lot of it was approaching the business from a market-based perspective versus a manufacturer-based perspective. I then did another bankruptcy turnaround uh, in California, private equity-owned NASDAQ traded, and realized that I could have the most fun as a marketer. I could have the biggest impact with these mid-sized companies where I could really get my hands around the company, be part of the leadership team, and make a really big difference. Not Again, not the cool creative stuff, and creative is important, but lead the company based on the market dynamics. So many companies try and lead based on their product or their thing or their industry. That was really the, the big, big learning. I love that. So, you know, let's dive in a little bit more on that. And, you know, when you talk about that move that you made, you were going from that functional marketing that we learn of the creative, et cetera, to much more of a broad marketing leadership, but also, frankly, an executive leadership. How did you prepare yourself for that? Was it learning on the job? Did you have other ways that you were able to do it? You know, one of the things that, that I had always tried to do is kind of the, the mantra I developed in, in my career. I started out in corporate finance and, and actually had, you know, multiple finance roles, even at Frito-Lay. And at Frito-Lay, I moved from the finance guy and the new products team into new products marketing. 
is I, I always looked at it was important to be really, really good at the technical things you were doing. You know, you have to do great marketing. You have to do great stuff. But don't be confused with the things you do every day and the business that you're in. The things that I might have been doing every day as a young marketer was putting together sell sheets and laying out freestanding inserts and, and, you know, working on television commercials. The business I was in was refreshment or nutrition or driving stockholder value. So even while I was, you know, a young junior marketer, I was every day saying, I've got to be really good at my technical skills, but why are these skills even needed? Why is it important to have coupons in the Sunday paper? Why is it important to advertise? Why do we pick that target? Why is the company adding new products in this segment versus that segment? So I, I think all along I was looking at how do I apply, why am I being asked to do this marketing? How does it apply to the bigger picture? And that set me up for eventually being able to look at and, and lead the bigger picture. So talking about that leading the bigger picture, what advice do you give to people that eventually want to move into that role of not just head of marketing, but being the chief marketing officer? And how do you help them get there? You know, I think it's that, that mantra of don't confuse the thing you do every day with the business that you're in. You have to be technically good. But if you become incredibly great at search engine optimization, you're never really going to be anything more than search engine optimization. So while you're being technically good, keep asking yourself and the organization, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we um, targeting this customer segment? Why does this customer segment even care about us? It really starts to move from this internal focus of the stuff I'm doing to the external focus of the marketplace. Why is the marketplace demanding this? Why is the marketplace rewarding that company, but penalizing that company? Why are the mark, what happened to change the market dynamics to the things that we were working on that were doing really well X months ago, X years ago, are no longer working? When you start understanding the external pressures onto the organization and the marketplace, and then how your little parts affect it, that's the, that's the leadership. A mid-level marketer who can sit and discuss business strategy in a way that makes the CEO think differently about the company, that's the marketer who's going to get promoted. So I want to dive into the company you're leading now with the chief outsiders. How exactly does chief outsiders help companies and what are the benefits of the fractional CMO? You know, our I think we've got, you know, the the most fun job of any marketer out there. What we really focus on is leading significant strategic growth. Anytime I look back at my career and I said, well, you know, I was a strategist, that was my strength, but how often could I really say that I spent 25% of my time on the strategic initiatives? I'd ask anyone listening, you know, in any role, how often can you really say you spent 25, 30, 40% of your time on the key strategic initiatives versus those fire drills versus that, that HR stuff or that budgeting? Well, with, with what we do with a fractional chief marketing officer, the companies that hire us only pay for the highest value part of the job because our folks will act as a part of the management team, sit on the CEO's staff, but just focused on leading and driving the key strategic initiatives without getting sucked into the day-to-day -day fire drill. So they get all the power of a really top-level chief marketing officer, but only paying for the highest value element. 
So for most of our companies, most of the we target on, on mid-sized companies, they couldn't afford to hire a real C-level executive chief marketing officer. And they probably don't need that skill set forever. There's only there's times in a company like this turn, like this pivot we're looking at, where the companies need to really step back and evaluate what do we need to do from a market-based perspective. And even in larger companies, a number of our, our larger clients, they're recognizing that there's no more full-stack CMO. There's no CMO who's absolutely great at lead gen and strategy and insights and every, every other element. You name all the elements of marketing. So there's times when a company who's really, really strong in one area needs expertise in a different area. But do they hire a whole other vice president of marketing? Or can they bring in someone who's that's their passion? That's the part of marketing they absolutely love. And they get to do the part that they love, only paying for that highest value element. So with that, you know, you've got a, a two-sided marketplace. So that does a really good job of talking about why the moderate model is so compelling for the companies that are hiring. What makes it so compelling for the, the fractional CMOs themselves on the other side? You know, that's actually the more compelling side of it. Everyone in the company, we've got at this point 75 chief marketing officers, full-time on staff. Every one of them is being a vice president of marketing or one or more, usually two or more large operating companies. But as we know, the average tenure of a chief marketing officer is, you know, 20 to 30 months, somewhere along those lines. What happens is a number of people get to the point in their career where they've done one or two of those. They love marketing, but they realize that they don't get to do much marketing anymore. They're managing a department. They're managing a budget. They're sitting in a meeting about a meeting about a plan. They really have the opportunity to do what they love to do, but they don't want to go back and do that again. Working with us, they actually are often on the management team of two or three companies at once. Companies that might be having very, very different challenges, different opportunities, maybe different industries. So again, if you think of the part of your job that you absolutely love, the part that, you know, this is the stuff that I'm really great at, that's probably the part where your employer is getting the highest value. Well, imagine if you only did that. You didn't do the other stuff. You got to pick and choose your assignment. So it's like, yeah, this is the assignment that's absolutely right for me. This is what I love to do. A number of people say they are literally doing the best marketing of their career and they're having the most fun doing it because it's the part that they love. Because with 75 CMOs, they don't compete against each other. They're all individuals. They all have different skill sets. Some really love the data analytics. Some really love the, you know, the, the system side of it. Some really love the insight side. So we help, we try and figure out who is the right CMO to put on any project or the right team of CMOs and then let them do what they love to do and let them know that they're supported by this whole other team of CMOs that can help them at any point. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club.
You mentioned just there that you know they work together and they don't compete. So one of the unique parts of your model is a peer review that brings all of the CMOs together. How exactly does that model work? You know, it, it really it's it starts at the the core of the culture of the company. We really work hard in in our interviewing and onboarding to to find people who are so incredibly smart, have such tremendous experience, they no longer have to be the smartest person in the room. People that can look at other other CMOs from other industries or maybe even a similar industry and say, that person's really, really great at that. The more you know about what you are really, really great at, the more you can appreciate there are other people that have complementary or different skills. So it's not a competition. So regularly, literally several times a month, one of our CMOs will say, I'd like a, a peer review. I need some other eyes on this. There might be something that I'm, I'm missing or I'm about to, about to make a big board presentation. I want to re- be sure I really got it right. So they'll put out saying, you know, here's the company. I'd love people that have maybe SaaS software experience or industrial experience or maybe there's, it's just a general call. And there'll be a, you know, literally a Zoom meeting. And the, the CMO has 20 minutes to present what help they need and the information about the company. Then 20 minutes while each person in the audience can ask a question, not, not give a, a recommendation, but ask questions. And then 20 minutes where the, the, the host can't respond, but everyone else goes and gives them their opinion. The exciting part is you think, wow, that's, I mean, that is really great to have 15, 20 CMOs helping you on your project. What we find is it's actually more important for the other people. The people who are volunteering to be on this peer review said, I just got a chance to listen to someone else's business and hear, you know, 15 other people question it differently, come at it from different directions. I got to hear how the SaaS software people thought about it. The, the guy from healthcare had a completely different approach, and the one from industrial manufacturing probably had the, the, the most powerful insight. So it's, it's a chance when you really know what you love to do and you're really, really great at it, it's easy to open up and let other people help you. That's the basis of the culture of the company, and that's, that's what, why people enjoy working here so much. They get really great assignments, and they're surrounded by people who actually love jumping in and helping them. So you mentioned earlier that uh, a lot of the clients you work with, they're at this turn, you know, very fitting from uh, you know, predicting the turn. What are some of your favorite stories where chief, chief outsiders really got involved in that turn and help that company get through it and accelerate coming out of it? You know, over, um, over 11 years we've been in business, that's primarily been what we've been doing. Now, obviously, it wasn't a COVID-19 you know, turn, but it would be a, a company, um, you know, a plastic injection molding company in the Midwest, being around 20 years, doing well, but growth has just slowed. And when they looked at it, they said, you know, gee, we, we probably ought to get into thermoform plastic molding. But we don't really don't know anything about that. They were introduced to us. Let's bring us in. So our folks went in, and, and the first thing you have to do is understand the company, understand the competitors, understand the customers, that insight phase. We came back and said, you know, looking at your, your business, there is so much more business for you to be had staying in this one technology. If we change the way we market, if you change the way you segment your customers, you don't need to build a new factory with new technology. There's tremendous growth available here. Most companies, we actually did research with the University of Texas, and, and it, it looked at CEOs of mid-sized companies, and it turns out that about 55% are operationally focused. They're really good at inside the four walls, process, procedures, metrics, management. But there's the other side that are market-focused, not marketing, but market-focused. 
But it turns out the highest growth rates were when you had these operationally focused, logical, linear CEOs who started to exhibit some of the behavior of the market-focused companies. It's not changing the company, but it's, it's bringing a market-based perspective into a management team that's never looked at the business that way before. They've always looked at the business of how can we push our product out versus look at the business of if you were in the seat, the seat of the buying company, if you're in the seat of this other industry, it's bringing a market-based perspective that changes a company. And that's what we're seeing now in this, this need for a pivot. And we're getting a lot of business, especially on the, the private equity side, where they're, they're saying, boy, our buyers have changed. You know, we're still selling the same stuff. We still have the same products, the same software, but the buyers have changed. You know, we used to sell through trade shows. We're not sure when there's going to be any more trade shows. We used to, you know, sell a certain way. The, the buyer behavior has changed. So how do we evaluate what do we do next? It's not just a cool, creative, I got an idea. There is a logical, linear process to doing it. It starts with the insights, and that leads to strategy and execution. So that's, that's what's exciting about where we are now is I believe every company in America has to redesign its commercial engine. They have to reevaluate, redesign, and restart this engine for growth because while their, their machines still may be there, their software still may be there, their customers have suddenly changed in some way or another. Speaking of that area, you know, the, the gig economy for a long time was really known more for, you know, things like, Uber drivers and things of that nature, or, you know, just creative talent. So freelancers doing creative design or print or something of that nature. You've really developed this model and this infrastructure that's empowering entrepreneurs, businesses of all sides to move into this developing space. How do you see the transformation of the gig economy continuing over the next five, five to 10 years? And how has COVID, you know, accelerated that effort? You know, we've seen it accelerating for the last 11 years. I mean, it was a pretty new idea 11 years ago, 2009. Great time to start a company, by the way. As we got in the last couple of years, our growth has really accelerated because there's more of an understanding of, I don't need to buy all my assets. There are really good assets that would be better, better to rent. Again, as marketing got much, much more complicated, companies started to realize, you know, I, I can't have an expert in all these fields. The idea of, of working remote is suddenly, you know, much, much more understandable and acceptable. You know, the, the COVID thing has pushed an, a tremendous number of companies into Zoom meetings, into remote meetings, into working from home, and realize that, you know, maybe you don't actually have to see everyone all day, every day. The fact that someone can be, you know, working from a different coast, working from a different location, you know, is much, much more acceptable. And the fact that, I'm going to need something really, really important right now, but I probably don't need that skill set forever. If a company is looking at a significant pivot now, they need someone who can really look at the marketplace, really make strategic decisions, maybe change their, their sales structure, change their go-to-market plan. But then a year from now, they're going to need to be back onto someone who's really good at demand gen, someone who's really good at communication. They're, it's a different skill set. So you don't want to hire a VP of marketing in a crisis situation, hope you get the right one, knowing you're going to get rid of them in a year and a half. Bring in that specific skill set now, add to the skill set, because there's no more full stack CMO. That's why a lot of our large companies are, you know, the, the multi-billion dollar companies, we're not the, the fractional CMO reporting to the CEO, we're the fractional VP of marketing reporting to the CMO, adding to the skill sets that they need, that they need to bring in right now. 
Yeah, and I think that last point is such a key one. Yeah, too often I think the fractional CMO was it was perceived as a stopgap, and what you're really doing is filling a need that can help and evolve and change. Kind of over time, it's you know probably badly said, but it's a new model of an agency that really brings something unique uh, to the table. Because a lot of times in in the corporate world, you can't get another head approved, you know, another executive level head. Politically, you really can't bring someone in at this level because there are career progression paths for other people in the organization. But you need someone in there right now who doesn't need to be micromanaged, who isn't a creative looking for you know approval for a campaign. Someone you can hand a piece of the business to and say, just get this thing done. Someone who's done it before. That's exactly. what that's what's fun right now. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I, I sat down with a gentleman named David Horowitz, who is the founder of Touchdown Ventures. And, you know, their model for corporate venture capital is kind of the same thing of, you know, building a corporate VC. That's a lot of headcount and it's tough to get it approved. You can hire some people internal, but then use somebody like Touchdown that can do that external. So I think it's something we're going to see, you know, you guys doing it in marketing, them doing a corporate VC. And every function out there is going to need that type of flexible model, if you will. And that's why our, our private equity VC part of the business is growing so quickly, because they really understand. They can look at the, the 20 companies or the 100 companies they own and say, you know, these four really need marketing, but they don't need to have keep track of 75 different marketers to call upon because the skill sets are going to be really different. Needs, the needs are going to be different by company. With us, it's one called us, and we'll help figure out which of our 75 are the right ones for that company and a different right one for that one over there. Makes total sense. So, you know, in each part of your career, you've worked closely with big brands, advertisers, and it's really about emerging channels that are out there. And as you said, there's no longer a full stack CMO that's really out there for people. How have you personally stayed on top of, you know, the changing trends and how marketing is evolving? to make sure you can identify and help your clients with all those changes. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a hang on. It's a wild ride. And uh, frankly, I don't, I don't even try anymore as the CEO of a company. I don't even do our marketing. I have a full-time CMO, so I haven't worked on a, a consulting engagement in nine years. So I'm the one who's using the marketing. It's my marketing team, you know, presenting to me, here's what we need to do. Here's the new communication plan. Here's the this and that. But then I also get to watch what's happening in, you know, hundreds of companies. I mean, March, we are on the management team of over 120 companies. And I love, you know, logging in on peer reviews and, and hearing the discussion and listening to the incredible marketing that's happening in the software phase. You know, as a marketer, I had the easiest job in America. I marketed the only three things worth living for, salt, sugar, and fat. Frito-Lay, Kellogg's, Coca-Cola. If you couldn't get the American population to eat more salt, sugar, and fat, you really weren't much of a marketer. I'm amazed listening to people marketing industrial manufacturing equipment, marketing software, marketing healthcare. You know, there's, I love listening and watching. The good news is with 75 CMOs full-time on staff, there's really, really great marketing ideas for our company. And my job as a CEO is, you know, to allocate resources, set direction, you know, and, and keep the people moving. Yeah. And I think that idea of outside learning is one that none of people really take advantage of. I sat down with, the, you know, several VCs on this uh, podcast and almost every single one of them said, 
you know, I get to stay on top of things because some of the smartest people in the world are walking in and pitching me every single day. And what you just said is kind of the flip side, which is you get to listen to 75 of the smartest people share their thoughts on what they're doing with those peer reviews. So that's a really great model to do it. Yeah. And and I get to listen to them discuss and debate, you know, what they think they should be doing or what they're, or the challenges they're facing or how to overcome the challenges. And then, you know, we have some pretty good discussion debates on our own company on strategic growth and direction and, and that The, the hardest job in this company is actually our CMO because Everyone in the company has an opinion of what he should be doing. Uh, it's the joy of uh, marketing and advertising, that's for sure. So, well, Art, it has been a pleasure sitting down with you, learning more about Chief Outsiders, and love the model you're doing. And it's something that I think more and more companies should be looking at. If somebody wants to get a hold of you and learn more, what's the best way? You know, our, our website is chiefoutsiders.com, and my email is art at chiefoutsiders.com. Perfect. Well, it has been a pleasure. And I thank you once again for uh, staying down and joining me on Predicting the Turn. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.